sermon text for this morning is John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, as we continue our study through the Gospel of John. Now, we've been in this section of John in which uh, Jesus makes strong assertions about his true identity as the divine Son of God, uh, that he is more than just a prophet like Moses and Elijah, and he is more than just a rabbi or a teacher. Uh, He is, in fact, God in the flesh, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. But we see throughout the Gospel of John that many of the Jews who heard what Jesus said about himself, they rejected his claims and they ultimately rejected him. They would have been fine if Jesus had said that he was just a prophet or a teacher. But we know that it was Jesus' claim to be divine, equal in power and glory with the Father, that caused them to reject him and ultimately to plan to kill him. And, you know, friends, it's the same today, isn't it? Most people are okay with us as Christians saying that Jesus was a wise teacher, one of the wisest teachers, perhaps, in all of history. And they will perhaps agree with that statement, usually. And and they're okay if we say that he was a good man and he taught us to love one another. Uh, But, you know, it's once we say that we believe that he is God and he is the only way of salvation, well, that's when people begin to reject the gospel and often to reject us as well. And we see this in our sermon text today, how the conflict between Jesus and many of the Jews in Jerusalem continues to escalate. Now, at this point, Jesus is in his third year of ministry. He's in Jerusalem, the Feast of Tabernacles. So by this time, the people know him. They have heard his teaching. Uh, they've, they've heard his divine claims, and some of them believe in him, some of them have more questions about what he's saying, and and some of them just outright reject him entirely and are hostile toward him. Now, the group that Jesus is talking to in these verses that we're going to read today are those that are hostile toward him. We'll see how at the end of our passage, they want to kill him. And Before we read the passage, I want to just point out very quickly that the conversation between Jesus and and these Jews in Jerusalem, it focuses on Abraham. Um, Their discussion focuses on Abraham and his role in God's plan. And, And the reason that Abraham's name keeps coming up in these verses is because Abraham was one of the most important people in Judaism. God made a covenant with Abraham. He gave Abraham the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. And so the Jews that Jesus is speaking to are are very proud of the fact that they are descendants of Abraham, this one who was chosen by God and, and whose bloodline was given the sign of circumcision. They find their assurance uh, and of acceptance before God in the fact that 
they are children of Abraham. This is where they find their security and their sense of salvation. We see that Jesus points out to them that if they are truly of Abraham, then they will believe and trust in Jesus because that's what Abraham did. What will define them is not their bloodline, but ultimately whether or not they believe in Jesus. The Apostle Paul explains this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Paul writes, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul's argument is very clear here. And and the writer of Hebrews makes the same kind of argument that Abraham and all of the old covenant saints were looking forward to Christ in faith. You know, we read from Hebrews chapter 11 for our second reading, and we saw how the author explained that those in the Old Covenant were looking forward to the promise that would be fulfilled in the Messiah. These Old Covenant saints are are witnesses that he now describes, as we're going to read in chapter 12, whom the writer of Hebrews says these Old Covenant saints were looking forward to the coming of Christ. And so to reject Christ is actually to go against what Abraham and Moses and all of the Old Covenant saints uh, looked forward to and trusted in. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those witnesses being the Old Covenant saints, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, just like they were, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, friends, Abraham was actually looking to Christ in faith. Abraham understood that Christ was superior to him, and so he trusted in God's promise to send a redeemer from his family line. This is what the New Testament reveals about Christ, that he does fulfill all of God's promises that are found in the Old Covenant. These Old Covenant promises were fulfilled in Christ's first coming, and we know that they will be consummated, fully realized when he returns. And so let's keep all of this in mind as we now read the sermon passage, and you'll see how the text really begins to make sense when we understand how Jesus was using Abraham to show the faith of the Old Covenant saints. John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, 
I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now Jesus wants those who are arguing here with him to see that he is greater than Abraham. Not because Abraham was bad or, or mistaken, but because even Abraham knew that he needed a savior from sin. Their faith should not be in Abraham, but in Christ. And so we see first in our text that Jesus is greater than Abraham because Jesus is uniquely glorified by the Father. He is uniquely glorified by the Father. Jesus explains this in verse 54 of our sermon passage. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Now, uh, to glorify in, in this context means to praise a person. It, it means to uh, enhance a person's reputation publicly. Let's say that uh, you and your friend are talking, and you both begin to talk about the same person. And as you're talking about this person, you say, you know, I, I really like that guy. He's, he's kind, and he's always willing to help others. He's, he's truly a nice guy. And your friend, who's hearing you speaking about this guy, you know, his opinion about him is being influenced, right? And he, too, begins to think, yeah, that guy is really nice, and he is really kind and always willing to help. Well, that's the idea here when Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Now, Jesus is explaining that he's not going around praising himself. No, it's actually God the Father who is glorifying Jesus in the sight of others. It's God the Father who is enhancing Jesus' public reputation. It's God the Father who is drawing 
people's attention to his son, God the Father, who is glorifying him. We know this happened very early on in Jesus' life. In fact, at his birth, when God sent angels to declare to the world the arrival of his only begotten son. And we know that at three critical moments during Jesus' ministry, God the Father spoke audibly from heaven in order to witness to Jesus' identity as the only son from the Father. The first of these moments was at Jesus' baptism. Matthew describes that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. There's God the Father glorifying his Son in the presence of people. The second instance was at Jesus' transfiguration where Jesus was on a mountain with Peter, James, and John and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun is the description and his clothes became white as light. Then a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's a third instance that is found in the book of John in chapter 12 where Jesus said again very publicly, or Jesus said publicly, Father, glorify your name. And then we read that a voice came from heaven, the Father saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. See, friends, in all of these instances, and actually throughout his ministry, when we begin to to think about it, God was glorifying his son. He was drawing attention to his son. He was causing people to put their faith in his son. But we know that the main way in which the father glorified his son is through the cross. He was through the cross that Jesus displayed his obedience to the Father. And it was through the cross that Jesus displayed his love for his people, for you and for me. And so that's why Jesus says as he's preparing to go to the cross in in John chapter 13, verses 31 through 32, and, and he spoke these words the night before he was crucified. He said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus was pointing to the moment in his life where he would be lifted up on the cross, glorified by God, so that all the world could see the obedience of his son and the salvation that he alone brings. And so... Jesus is pointing out here that those who worship the Father will worship the Son because the Father glorifies the Son. See, he he points people to 
the Son for salvation and for eternal life. And therefore, to, to reject the Son, to reject Jesus, is to reject the one whom God sent. Now, why didn't some of the Jews that were living in Jesus' day, who were living in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, why didn't some of them receive Jesus? Why didn't all of them look to Jesus and believe? Well, Jesus points out why in verse 55 of our passage. He says, It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God, but you have not known him. You have not known him, says Jesus. Lord Jesus was showing them that their hearts were in fact far from God. Yes, they were very religious. After all, they had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. They were going through the ceremonies that the Old Covenant required. They were attending the festivals. They were engaged in religious debates there in Jerusalem. But Jesus is pointing out that it's all empty ritual for them. They, in fact, did not know God. They only found assurance in the fact that Abraham was their father, but ultimately that was it. They did not truly know the God of Abraham. And, you know, this is possible when we think about this. It's possible um, even today. There's uh, something called humanistic Judaism. And it's uh, a form of Judaism that emphasizes uh, religion and religiosity and ritual, um, everything that is found in Judaism and, and the identity behind it all. It emphasizes all of that without God. It prizes the culture, the ceremonies, the history of Judaism, but you know it's inherently atheistic. So it's possible even today, and it's, friends, possible even in Christian churches. There are today churches throughout the world that observe the ceremony involved in worship and the readings and, and the prayers involved in worship, but they reject the God of the Bible and the Christ whom he has sent. In the early 1900s, a man named J. Gresham Machen, he wrote a book titled Christianity and Liberalism, and he wrote it to address the problem in the mainline church that it was straying from the gospel. And you know, when we think about liberal churches, uh, in J. Gresham Machen's mind and, and his understanding of it, and it's still true today, liberal churches are those that deny, for example, the necessity of Christ's blood atonement for salvation. Uh, they deny that Christ is the only way of salvation. They deny the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. They deny these core truths of our faith. And, you know, Machen's main thesis of his book is that liberal Christianity is not just another kind of Christianity, like, you know, the difference between Baptists and Presbyterians. But he argues that liberal Christianity is not Christianity. Yes, they have the, the forms of worship, and, and these churches might have very 
its buildings that they meet in. And the people who attend might be very nice, but it's not true faith. This is why Jesus points out in our passage, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. See, to reject Jesus as he is revealed in the Bible is to reject the one true God who sent him. It is to reject the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who worship the Father will, will worship his Son. And secondly, we see in our passage that Jesus is greater than Abraham because Jesus gives eternal life. He gives eternal life. We see in verses 51 through 53 of our passage, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? You can see the reasoning behind the Jewish crowd around Jesus as they're only thinking about physical death here. They listen as Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And, and they think Abraham heard and obeyed the word of God, but Abraham died. And, and so did Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and so on. And notice their conclusion at the end of verse 53. Just who do you think you are? Do you think that you are greater than all of these people? What Jesus is emphasizing here is the eternal life, friends, that he alone can give. The eternal life that he will earn for his people on the cross and that comes to those who believe in him. So that for those who believe in him, who trust in him, death is not the end, but it's simply the transition into glory. That as we confessed our faith today, the fact that immediately after death, believers enter into the presence of Christ and we behold his glory. And so while as believers we might you know, be a bit afraid of the process involved in dying, of the pain that it might involve for ourselves and, and for our loved ones, you know, we can find comfort in the fact that death is not the end, but it's the point where we enter the final stage of the order of salvation, which is glorification, the sting of death, which involves fear of God's wrath and judgment, friends, has been removed by Christ's atoning work. And so when we die, we immediately enter into the presence of Christ. And think about Jesus' assurance to the dying thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. You will take your last breath here 
And in the very next moment, your soul will be with me in glory. And so in this life, we live by faith. We live uh, not by sight, but we live by faith. But the assurance is that in glory, faith will no longer be needed because we will see Christ with our eyes and we will touch him with our hands and we will speak with him as one speaks with a friend. So what the Apostle Paul says that in this life we see as in a mirror dimly. When he says that, he's referring to the fact that in the ancient world, mirrors were made of polished metals, not glass. And so they weren't good reflections. They didn't provide good reflections. So when those in the ancient world looked in mirrors, though they saw something of themselves, they didn't see clearly. In this life, we see as in a mirror dimly, but Paul assures us that in glory we will see face to face. We will look upon Christ with all of his glory and and see him with the clarity of the noonday sun, friends. So what Jesus was assuring Martha about as she was grieving the death of her brother Lazarus, we read in John 11, verses 25 through 26, that Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. My friends, notice the absolutes with which Jesus speaks. He gives eternal life. And he is the only one who can give it. And many people don't like to think about death, right? And one of the things that this recent pandemic has done is to remind the whole world about the brevity and the frailty of our lives. Moses says in Psalm 90 that our life is like a dream that comes to an abrupt end. Or it's like the grass in a dry desert that springs up in the morning and is gone by nightfall. Our years pass quickly. Death can come at any moment, at any stage of life. But if you are trusting in Christ, when that moment comes, you and I will take our last breath in this life and open our eyes in the next beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we see in our passage that Jesus is greater than Abraham because Jesus is God. Jesus says in verses 56 through 59, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now this is one of the many I am sayings of Jesus in this gospel. He here deliberately uses the name of God to speak of himself. 
This was the name that was given to Moses, we know, at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses asked for God's name, and the voice from the fiery bush replied, I am has sent me to you. This is my name. And this same name appears throughout the book of Isaiah, especially in chapter 43, where God declares in verse 11, I am, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And then verse 25, again, the repetition, I am, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. And so Jesus publicly applies God's divine name and and God's authoritative presence to himself. Very publicly and, and very deliberately, each of his I am sayings reveal that he is the one sent from the Father. He is the one who is equal in power and glory with the Father and the Spirit. And so here Jesus declares, before Abraham was, I am. And J.C. Ryle He writes about this verse, and when our Lord used these remarkable words, Abraham had been dead and buried at least 1,850 years. And yet, Jesus is said to have, and yet Abraham is said to have seen our Lord's day. How wonderful that sounds, yet it was quite true. Not only did Abraham see our Lord and talk to him when he appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, the night before Sodom was destroyed, we find that story in Genesis chapter 18, but by faith Abraham looked forward to the day of our Lord's incarnation yet to come, and as he looked forward to that day, he was glad. Ryle says, Abraham saw in the far distance a redeemer, whose advent, whose coming would finally make all the earth rejoice. Abraham saw that day by faith, and he was glad. And when the people heard Jesus say these things about himself, they knew exactly what he was declaring. They knew that he was declaring himself to be the divine Son of God. And this is why we read in verse 56, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now the fact that Jesus went out of the temple is John's way of of revealing that the glory of God had left the temple, that the Jews had revealed their unbelief. They had revealed that the temple was just there for ceremonies and, and for festivals, but was no true heart for God among those who worshipped there. And so the glory of God, Jesus, the one whom the Father glorifies, went out of the temple. Friends, the promise remains today that for those who believe in Jesus, he is the glorious one, the promised one sent from God so that whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Christ, our Savior, who died in order that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
grant us strength and conviction to live by faith in this present age. We ask that you would cause the seed of the word that has been planted through the reading and preaching to bear fruit in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the joy of knowing Christ in this life and for the work of your spirit in our hearts, your spirit who is molding us and shaping us daily to be more like Christ. And now, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and forevermore.